0: All right, Hokie hangover. Ricky, basketball season's over.
1: Yes, it is. The 19-20 season is officially done, and um, it ended kind of in a, I guess, a fitting way, right? I mean, the the second half of this season has been pretty hard to watch for most of it, and I think this game against Carolina, who – even though Carolina's pretty talented, we have to remember that Tech was the higher seed coming into this game, and Tech beat UNC at home just a few weeks ago, uh, and then they get absolutely blown out on a neutral floor in Greensboro. Um, not a not a great way to end the year, but certainly not surprising. Not surprising at all.
0: Um, well, let's start with this, Ricky, before we before we kind of dive fully into this. I'm Mike McDaniel. That's Ricky Le blue Andrew Alex joins us most of the time. Um, he's not with us tonight. Uh, you can find us out there at Hokey Hangover on Twitter. Check us out wherever you get your podcasts. We're on all the major sites. Rate us, review us, etc. Um, we try to do this weekly, uh, maybe even twice a week in season uh, for football. But this is where you can find us at this corner of the internet, Ricky. Um, yeah, so the basketball team loses in the first round of the ACC tournament here on Tuesday night, seventy eight to fifty six in North Carolina. Like Ricky mentioned, it ended in a fitting fashion, so to speak. Right, the Hokies. You know, what we'll get into a full post mortem, as we'll call it, um, in a in a later podcast because uh, we want to you know dive into this briefly and then talk about football. Touch on that with spring practice right around the corner here this evening. But you know, basketball team. Overall this season, you know, they finished the year 16-16 and 16 on the season, so about 500. They were obviously not great in ACC play, but, you know, you consider all the youth that they had, third youngest team in Division one basketball, um, well over 300 teams. So this was a very, very young team, no seniors on this roster. Uh, P.J. Horn is a guy, and Wabisabidi, two guys that will be seniors next year, um, that will be significant. Significantly relied on moving forward, Uh, but they were two players this year that offensively, I think they had their trials and tribulations, to put it lightly, Ricky, and these are two guys that were in the starting lineup that uh, really couldn't get established on a consistent basis offensively. And the same goes for really the rest of the roster. Tyrese Radford had a very good, very consistent season, really found his footing in ACC play, became the Hokies' most consistent player, even though he didn't play well in this particular game um, against North Carolina on Tuesday night. But the season really ended how ACC play really ended overall for the Hokies, where They really couldn't shoot the ball well at all. Um, They they shot 29% from the floor in the first half the Hokies did. At one point in the second half with seven minutes to play when North Carolina went on their run to extend the lead uh, to upwards of 20, uh, Virginia Tech was 15 of 50 from the floor. That's 30%. That is not good, Ricky. And they finished 18 of 62, 29% from the floor. Hunter Kator was the only guy tonight who really got it going offensively, finished 5 of 11 with 14 points. But outside of that, the offense couldn't do much of anything.
1: Yeah, um, this team's two primary bucket getters are really Tyrese and Landers. I think we can all agree on that. Um, and Hunter Kator ended up leading the team in points. So that kind of tells you how this night was going. Um Nolly probably had his most efficient game we've seen in recent weeks, actually, (laughs) which is hard to say because he finished the night four of 11. Um, Tyrese never got going. PJ Horn took six, three pointers, which is just way too many. I'm sorry. I understand PJ's starting to stretch his range out a bit, but I don't think there's any reason that uh, PJ Horn should be shooting six threes. He goes two for eight overall. Look, we've said before, this team struggles to find players that can go get their own shot off. And this team relies so much on a balanced attack where the team is running motion sets to get guys open. Uh, Because this this offense is limited in terms of skill set, at least right now, And that was, again, on full display tonight. Now, look, we all know that UNC is not really a 14 seed in the ACC, right? They've had all these injuries this year. They're really probably a top 30 to 35 team in terms of talent. But the year just hasn't gone well for them, and they've been through hell and back. So it's not surprising for for them to play well. And honestly, Tech got a really bad draw here in the first round of the ACC tournament. But that being said... Like I said earlier, Tech beat this team just a couple of weeks ago, so th- th- there really isn't an excuse. Uh, Tech's inability to make shots has doomed their offense for several weeks now, and everybody likes to talk about how the NBA is a, a make-or-miss game. Well, really, all of basketball is that way. If you make your shots, you're probably going to win. If you miss your shots, you're probably going to lose. There's very little gray area. Uh, you can make up for it a bit by – getting extra attempts and getting to the foul line and, and and owning the offensive glass but for the most part if you're going out there and throwing up bricks you're not going to come out with a win and tech's offense has really struggled to knock down shots consistently um, for for several weeks and that that's exactly what's cost them i understand they're a young team and and they're kind of limited in the post, but ultimately, especially at the college level, your ability to knock down shots, particularly from behind the arc, matters, and Tech just hasn't been able to get it done. Yeah, so the
0: shooting wasn't great. 10 of 36 from three tonight for the Hokies. The one guy we didn't, I guess, mention was Jalen Cohn. Jalen Cohn, I guess, has been the guy who has come off the bench. He's been kind of the spark plug on offense um, for that second unit. He comes off the bench. He hits... A couple of shots early on, um, but finishes 3 of 11 from the floor, 2 of 8 from 3. Really struggled throughout the rest of the game when he was in there. Um, played 25 minutes and just could never really get it going. Um, but Another one, with-
1: Mike, real quick, yep. is Naheem Aline going 0 for 6. Oh, I 0 mean for 6. Yep. Like it's, it's, it, it's a problem that's kind of permeated the whole roster. There hasn't been... Outside of Tyrese Radford, I don't think anyone has been wildly efficient this year.
0: No, no. I mean, definitely not. Radford, one of the most efficient players in college basketball on the offensive end of the floor. Didn't have his best night tonight. He was two of six from the floor, um, two assists, two rebounds. Essentially just a non-factor in this basketball game. And and what's
1: crazy is if you look at the, the rebounding numbers, it's not like Tech got owned on the glass. They had two fewer offensive rebounds than Carolina. So they were competing on the glass with, with guys like Armando Bacot, who is a guy that Virginia Tech recruited with with Buzz Williams here. Um, and he was a five-star recruit, so he's pretty damn good. And Tech only turned it over, I believe, seven times, eight times. So the offense, was, they were getting shots off, and they were competing on the glass. But if you're not knocking the shots down, it doesn't really matter.
0: Yeah, and to your point, so... Tech got out rebounded in this game forty five to thirty. But, but it was a lot, lot of closer. Because
1: a lot of those were defensive rebounds for Carolina. It's not like Exactly. It's not like Tech wasn't competing on the offensive glass.
0: Absolutely, one hundred percent. So Tech gets out rebounded by thirteen on the defensive glass, a lot of one and done possessions, especially in the second half when Tech was you know, UNC's pulling away. Tech's trying to keep themselves in it. They're launching up threes or, you know, a lot of long rebounds. There were some serious issues there in the second half with you know, Tech just trying to stay within arm's reach, and they just couldn't do it consistently enough. And the two major issues with Virginia Tech, especially in ACC play this year, consistent shooting, they just didn't have it enough, especially in late January and throughout the month of February, and they got killed on the glass. And it wasn't necessarily, the stats say, yes, they they were out-rebounded by 15 tonight, but it wasn't necessarily them getting killed on the glass tonight, but it was one of those issues that was, Going to be a problem across the board for the Hokies, no matter who they played this year, because they're A, so small in the front court, B, the, the experience of their guards is not what you would expect for a lot of teams nationally. So your guards aren't rebounding well. Your front court's not necessarily going to rebound well because you're just a small front court to begin with. And, you know, there's there's a couple of players, a handful of players, when you consider Kive Aluma coming in next year, he's a six foot nine forward who played for Mike Young at Wofford. He'll help from a front court perspective. Um, just another body there on the glass to help with the rebounding and other good rotational piece. You have Darius Maddox coming in. You have Joe B. Massill coming in. And we'll get into this whole postmortem of the basketball program and what it's going to look like next year moving forward and other podcasts, Ricky. But real quick, Virginia Tech may want to dip their toes into the transfer portal and see what's out there. Because even with a talented young roster that you have in place already for next year, plus the recruits you have coming in. There's just not enough shooting on the roster, especially experienced shooting, to really bridge that gap. And you're going to have to have a lot of players take a huge step forward here in this offseason. I'm sure guys will improve, obviously, and Tech will be better for it moving forward. But there is a lack of shooting on this roster, consistent shooting, that I'm not sure is going
1: to be totally remedied by one offseason. Yeah, and I would agree with that. Um, and it only gets worse if Landers Nolly heads to heads to the Heads to the NBA, correct? Because uh, if he does, not only do you lose a lot of scoring potential and playmaking ability, but you lose a lot of length. I mean, for most of the year, Landers Landers Nolly was the tallest player on the floor for for the Hokies, which is embarrassing almost. <laughs> I mean, he's that's yes, absurd. He's only, right? He's only like six seven. So Tech does need to find more depth. I, I think in the transfer portal this year and. You know, something um, you had mentioned that you saw on Twitter and we were talking about before we recorded was how Buzz Williams relied on the presence of of Seth Allen and Zach Lade after year one. Because remember, they transferred in immediately and both of them had to sit a year. After they sat a year, they both became gigantic pieces on this roster. And by the end of their careers, Zach Lade was far and away the best player on the team, and and Seth Allen was one of the better guards in the ACC. So I'm not saying that Tech needs to go find someone like that because those guys are pretty rare that you're able to find super impactful players in the transfer portal, but if they can find some supplemental pieces, maybe one guy who can play that 4-5 type role, maybe be a, a stretch big who doesn't even necessarily need to shoot the ball that well, but he needs to be able to run the floor and defend the rim and, and and impact the game on the glass, I think that would be beneficial. Having someone on the perimeter who can knock down shots, like you said, would obviously be very beneficial. I think having someone who can attack with the ball in their hands from the top of the key, I mean, for all of Wabisa Beatty's positives and his skill and his abilities, one of them is not attacking the rim and, and making plays in the two-man game. Wabeas is just not that player. He never has been, and he probably never will be at this point. Having someone who can create their own shot and help create shots for others off the dribble is key to scoring in the game. And if they can find somebody like that, even if it's in a bench role, that would be huge. Now, maybe Jalen Cohn turns into that guy next year after his freshman season, but... Um, it, 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 that that would be quite the step.
0: Yeah, yeah, and and maybe he does turn to that guy, but he's going to be inherently limited as well, just given his size, right, and his deficiencies I mean, he's, defensively.
1: He's a, he's a super athletic player. Yep, he's, got a, he's got a really good, really good stroke. But you're right. I mean he can he can only impact the game so much because of his size. Yeah, and Mike Young
0: is right. Every time he shoots it, it feels like it's going in. And even tonight, when he struggled from the floor, every shot he took really did feel like it was going in so you do want him to keep shooting it's another off season for him to get stronger he's not gonna get any taller but It's another <laughs> off season for him to get for him to get stronger kind of refine his game defensively which i do think there's areas where he can improve despite his size um but I, I think tech is obviously well positioned for the future and and they'll be in a good spot moving forward um but just thinking ahead just you know, a quick reaction from this North Carolina game tonight that ends Virginia Tech season in all likelihood. Obviously, I, I don't anticipate any sort of secondary tournament bid or anything like that. But looking at, looking forward at, at what Virginia Tech's roster looks like and all the talent that they have, very, very bright future for this team. Um, but it may take more than just a couple of talented freshmen and Kive Aluma coming in as a transfer. It, it might take maybe a graduate transfer. Maybe you dip in and you, and you find somebody who's going to be immediately eligible that can help you, like you said down low from it from a post-defense rebounding perspective or just another shooter to add into the mix um, to kind of bridge that gap for the Hokies because there were too many times this year especially and and tonight was another great example where the offense just went stale and they didn't have a guy who can consistently make shots and Landers Nolly was supposed to be that guy and he was early in the year it's a big reason why Virginia Tech got off to such a hot start and they were one of the surprises of the conference but what we saw in the back half of the year, where Virginia Tech concludes tonight by losing 11 of their last 13 games um, in ACC play this year, which is not obviously not great, but it's something to be expected with freshmen. After the start they had to the year, it, it's just really it's it's really tough to kind of couch that and see what this team looks like moving forward. But it is going to be a very very talented group with a bright future who should be in the mix for a tournament next season.
1: Yeah, and I'll I'll, I'll harp on this again more when we do our kind of season in review session. But remember when I said, when this losing streak started, I don't care how, if this team goes on right. a massive losing streak, what I care about is, are they recruiting well? Are they developing players? Are players buying into Mike Young's philosophy? Are they buying into his offense? I think so far that the boxes have been checked. Um, Landers, Nolly definitely regressed this year, but you could look at a guy like P.J. Horn. He's really transformed his game under Mike Young. Jalen Cohn really came into his own at certain points of the year and became kind of a, a spark off the bench. Tyrese Radford became someone who was a nobody coming into the season and turned himself into one of the most polished, most efficient players in the conference. And all this happened under Mike Young, and this is just year one. So there are plenty of encouraging signs, um, and we we don't want to get out over our skis here, but um, just because Virginia Tech really struggled on the floor to finish the year does not mean that this was a lost season, because it certainly wasn't in my eyes. Yep, totally
0: with you. Um, overall successful year one for Mike Young. This is a team that was picked to finish last in the ACC they didn't finish last in the ACC. Um, they were an 11th seed in this tournament. Obviously, Georgia Tech didn't play in the ACC tournament. Um, everybody slides up a spot because of that. But Virginia Tech um, ends the season 11th in the ACC, at least in the regular season. And it's I, the Hokies are in good position moving forward. There's no doubt about that. Um, Ricky, real quick, I uh, want to dive into football. Spring practice, 10 days away, uh, beginning on March 21st. Let's dive into a couple of spring practice topics, Ricky, because there's and we'll, I'm sure, record again before spring practice begins. But, yeah, obviously, there there are some a number of things to get into. Number one, quarterbacks and Handon hooker. Ricky should be the starter entering spring practice. And he's in, it's it's anticipated that he'll be the starter. He'll be the guy to contribute. Uh, But then there's Braxton Burmeister, there's Quincy Patterson, there's the future of those two players kind of hanging in the balance as well. This is a pretty big spring at the quarterback position.
1: It is, uh, especially when it comes to the future of the position. Um, Just let me throw this out there right now. I really hope Quincy Patterson is not live this spring like he was last spring. I thought that was really odd that, that he was live Last spring, I understand that he was in a lot of their run packages and was used quite thoroughly last season. Even when and the, well, yeah, yeah, and, and and even when the starting quarterback was healthy. But that being said, uh, Quincy knows how to run the football. I think we all, I think we all know how to, I think we all realize that, and and have seen that with our own eyes. There is no need for him to be live this spring. Uh, but the the position is definitely. Um, has some some clouds around it right i mean hendon kind of tailed off towards the end of last season there's been a absolute thick black cloud of smoke about braxton burmeister and some people trying to 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 gas him up and, and tell us that he's the second coming and then you've got quincy patterson who was the the prodigy from illinois who was an elite 11 guy and was a four-star quarterback. So there's all sorts of storylines here at quarterback, but yes, I agree that there's zero reason why Hendon Hooker wouldn't be your starter going into spring. And to be perfectly honest, I don't think there's there's going to be much of a battle going in into the summer and into the fall when we actually start seeing this team prepare for for week one. I don't think that there's going to be a quarterback that really challenges Hendon at this point.
0: Yeah, and there's, um, there's this exciting narrative out there that Braxton Burmeister is really talented and, you know, really athletic. And the only thing I'll say is, well, if that's the case, why do you have to transfer in here? Um,
1: so that's, that's I mean, just what he, I'll say. He, I'm sure he is talented, and I know he is athletic, but the guy played like crap at Oregon. I mean, he, you can't just ignore that. I mean, there's a reason that he got benched, and there's a reason that he transferred away from his school is that he couldn't start. Right. And you've got a guy in Hendon Hooker who grew leaps and bounds last year before finally tailing off, and and he probably started to tail off because the guy was so beat up. I mean, he had the knee injury that cost him the Notre Dame game. Um, there were reports about him having a, a, a labrum issue early on in the season and his non-throwing shoulder. So you you put all this together. I mean, Hendon went through hell for for parts of last year Uh, and the guy still put together a very very respectable season on the stat sheet and led his team to several wins when we thought this team was left for dead so I have zero reservations in in leaning on Hendon out the gate now if things don't go well to start then sure we can we can talk about making a change but until then Hendon has earned this job I think the more intriguing conversation to me isn't who's going to be the starter. I think the starter should
0: be hand and hooker. The more intriguing conversation to me is who's the number two, because in my opinion, and and I, I have no, no knowledge of this. I just want to throw it out there. And there was that video, that hard hat series that Virginia tech football is doing. And they're, they're pushing this marketing stuff now with the football program, more access, all this other stuff, which is good. I mean, it's a, it's a good thing for the program. So fans get access, but you know, Quincy Patterson mentioned in his conversation with Hendon Hooker as part of that hard hat series. You know, people are saying, Oh, Quincy, you can transfer, you can do this, you can do that. And Quincy says, Well, why would I transfer? You know, I'm in a I'm in a good position here, I have good coaching, I have great teammates, etc. Ricky, if Braxton Burmeister wins the number two quarterback job, do you think Quincy Patterson transfers?
1: Oh man. Um I'm gonna lean no for now, but I'm I'm pretty shaky on that. Yeah. I don't think he's gonna lose the backup job to, to Braxton Burmeister. I'm look, I'm I'm fully off the Braxton Burmeister bandwagon. In case there was any confusion, I'm I'm not here to gas up a guy who really struggled at Oregon and had to leave and we haven't even seen throw the football in quite some time and now people are trying to tell me that he's this uber-talented diamond in the rough that's really going to shock the world in the ACC. Um, We saw Quincy Patterson on the field last year in the ACC against decent competition, and Quincy more than held his own. I mean, in the Notre Dame game, Virginia Tech, yes, they tailored that game plan around him, and it was very, very focused on running the football. But Quincy Patterson almost won that damn game. I mean, if it wasn't for the defense falling apart later in the, down the stretch and the offense, offensive play calling really in particular going into a shell in the second half, Virginia Tech would have beaten Notre Dame on the road. Uh, that you, you can't just overlook that. Quincy played a giant role in, in that near upset. So yeah, and and that I mean, and, and
0: real quick. Real quick, that's that's on yeah. the heels
1: of him coming in and winning you the North Carolina game. Yeah, I was just about to say he yep. after after Hendon goes down, Quincy steps right in and almost wills Virginia Tech to that win against Carolina. I mean, the way he ran the football in that game was absolutely tremendous. Now, I know Quincy has some limitations at this point in his career because he hasn't really become a polished passer, um, and they haven't really opened up the playbook for him, but. Considering what I saw last year, I would be more than comfortable with Quincy as the backup, and I would have double the confidence in him coming into the game cold than I would Braxton Burmeister.
0: We've seen what Quincy is able to do running the football. We know that he has a strong arm. We also know that he has limitations in his accuracy, right? That's clear when he's been in the game and has thrown, hasn't always been pretty. Um, but that being said, he has made a couple of big time throws uh, like the one to Damon Hazleton. in yeah, the North he Carolina has. game, for and example. So he's made some big time throws without doubt.
1: Yeah, I mean, he's Quincy has all the tools in the toolbox, right? And and Braxton might have some, too. But Quincy's shown shown me more than than Braxton. If you just look, if you look at what they've done on the field from from this point in their careers, Quincy's done more. He's been more productive. Right. I don't think there's any question about that. Um, And not giving Quincy the early edge to me is just is idiotic. I I think I think people are putting way too much stock in a in a former four star quarterback who had to leave his former school.
0: Yeah, I'll be really interested to see who wins the number two quarterback job because um, I do think Hendon Hooker is the starter. I don't care what Justin Fuente says. I do believe Hendon Hooker is the starter. I don't believe it will be much of a competition, especially with what Hendon Hooker was able to do when he came in last year and, in essence, in my opinion, saved Justin Fuente's job. Um, I have yeah. a hard time believing that all of a sudden he's not going to have Hendon Hooker be his starting quarterback when, with the way things were trending last September, if they didn't make that move to put in Hendon Hooker, and we talked about this on the last podcast, Ricky. there's a possibility
1: that Virginia Tech's season spiraled out of control, and who knows what would have happened, right? Do you do you think Justin Fuente would put Hendon Hooker and Quincy Patterson out there in something like the hard hat thing without going into the spring practice session thinking that they're the one and two? Right. No, I I agree
0: that that's another that's another point of consideration. Um, the answer is no. I don't think he would do because that because Justin. Without-
1: Justin has regularly protected his players from the media, uh, especially if they're struggling or they fall out of the out of favor on the depth chart. Right. So the the fact that both of those guys were in that thing, I think, is a, a, a somewhat clear sign that both of them are are in this for the long haul. And I think the gap between Hendon and Quincy may be smaller than the gap between Quincy and Braxton. Yeah, or as some people suggest, maybe Braxton's
0: pushing Hendon Hooker. Well, I think the gap is much wider. To your point, between Hendon and Braxton than Hendon and Quincy Patterson, um, for sure. And the other part of this, Ricky, is that whoever the backup quarterback ends up being, the backup's going to have a say in this thing next year. I'm not yeah, saying yeah, the backup, Hendon- the backup's going to have to play. Right, and and that's not to say that Hendon Hooker is going to struggle. I'm saying that from an injury standpoint and what we've seen out of Hendon Hooker in extended playing time this year, just because of his frame and the way that they use him to run the football, he's going to get banged up. I'm not saying he'll miss a bunch of games. You know, we want him to start all 12 plus, you know, 12 plus whatever comes after that. Um, But in the sample size we've seen, Hendon Hooker got banged up. You may need your backup. And you may need him to be quite good. And you might not want the drop-off that you usually see from the starter and a backup. So Virginia Tech could th- could turn this into a luxury, right, where you have two guys that are really, really good. And you can still use Quincy Patterson, as they did at times this year in certain packages, and still use him and be an effective player. And if you need him to step in and be the starter, having Justin Fuente and Brad Cornelsen, the offensive coaching staff, have all the confidence in the world in a guy like Quincy Patterson, or Braxton Burmeister if he ends up being the number two. Having whoever that guy is um, be in a position where he can step right in as a starting quarterback, you have all the confidence in the world in him to succeed, that that could end up being a luxury for Virginia Tech
1: moving forward. Most definitely, and these are these are good problems to have. It's, it's nice to have a situation where you have three players who – come with somewhat varying levels of of high accolades. I mean, even though Hendon was just a three-star player, he did have a Clemson offer coming out of high school, and that was committable at one point. Um, So it's not like Clemson just offered him early and then backed out. Um, Braxton, former four-star recruit. Quincy, former four-star recruit. They have talent in the room. These are good problems to have. These are the kinds of problems that good college football programs have. It's a lot different when you're fighting between Michael Brewer and Brendan Motley. I mean, no disrespect to either of those guys, but there is a giant difference between Hendon Hooker, Quincy Patterson, and Braxton Burmeister to Michael Brewer and Brendan Motley. Totally agree. This is, uh, you know...
0: I do want to call it an embarrassment of riches because that would be doing no, it's not. It's
1: not. It's, well, service, I, it's but... it, it it's that that kind of talent gives you a somewhat steady level of comfortability at the quarterback position, which is something that most not not maybe not most, but a large portion of the power five does not have. A lot a lot a lot of power five programs are not comfortable in their quarterback situation. And they haven't been for quite some time. And Virginia Tech has the luxury of
0: being perhaps very comfortable with all three of their quarterbacks, or at the very least the two that were on the roster last year that we can speak to that we've seen play with our two eyes in Quincy Parris and Hendon Hooker, especially if they both take a step forward, especially Quincy with his ability to throw the football and be accurate, etc. Uh, Ricky. As we step through this, I think there's one other position I want to cover. We'll kind of work our way through the offense and then the defense um in subsequent podcasts. But the one other position tonight that I do want to cover is the running back position. Yes. One of the more intriguing yes. one of the more intriguing things to watch this spring is what happens at running back. Let me set the table for you here. You have Deshaun McLeese leaving, right? So he's he declared for the NFL draft. He's gone. You have two guys coming in, right? You have Raheem Blackshear, who's going to have to apply for a waiver to be immediately eligible, but he's coming in from Rutgers. You have Khalil Herbert, immediately eligible, coming in from Kansas to Virginia Tech. You have Jalen Holston, who was injured for almost the entirety of last year. He played in the opener, and that was it. Got hurt against Boston College, never returned. And then you have Keyshawn King, who was essentially splitting snaps with Deshaun McLeese, getting a bulk of the carries. And those are likely going to be the major contributors at the running back position for Virginia Tech next season. But Ricky, my question to you is, not only who do you think has the most to prove this spring at running back, but who do you think ultimately ends up taking the lead
1: as, as potentially the number one running back going into the fall? I think Khalil Herbert will be the number one back uh, as we get through this offseason. I think j- just because of his track record, given it's at Kansas and it's in the big 12, but um, he has this proven uh, history of production that nobody else on the tech roster has. I think Keyshawn King's ceiling may be a bit higher because we've, we've seen him be explosive, but Keyshawn's got to worry about putting the ball on the ground, which is something he did more than he needed to last year. And it, and it cost him a lot of carries Uh, But the guy who has the most approved next year is Jalen Holston because he's the only big, bruising guy that's going to be in line to get a decent amount of carries next year. And um, he hasn't produced since he's been on the roster. He's red-shirted. He's battled injuries. um, He's been unable to break into the rotation at times. You know, Jalen is a big bodied guy and and we saw what he can do in in high school, but he's never really gotten comfortable in this offense and been able to find ways to produce where as in high school, he was in that wing T offense where he was playing as the up back. And it was basically just him powering ahead and, and, and running guys over. It's a lot different in college, obviously, and he hasn't been able to get his game adjusted and... That's kind of pushed him further and further down the depth chart. And we have to remember, too, Tech brought in a Juco guy, Marco Lee, who could find his way into the mix as well. And there's multiple freshmen coming in. So there are more and more bodies at this running back position, it feels like, every single year. And if Jalen Holston's not careful, he's going to be passed up and find himself way down on the depth chart to the point where he won't get any carries.
0: Jalen Holston reminds me a lot of a guy back in 2011. I was a freshman at Virginia Tech, um, and Tech at the time had a big, bruising running back who played behind David Wilson. His name was Josh Oglesby. Very similar situation. Now, Oglesby wasn't as injured throughout his career as Jalen Holston, but he was a guy who did battle injuries and had a very successful senior season spelling a bell cow back and david wilson who was one of the most electric players in the conference that year i think that jalen holson can fill a similar role here right because you have a lot of similar types of running backs on the roster um khalil herbert like you mentioned could step in be the starter right away Keyshawn king could step in we saw what he was able to do as a freshman cleans up the fumbling issues he's another guy small back shifty um, can really move. He's got speed in the open field. Uh, Blackshear, if he plays again, that would be great for Virginia Tech. It looks like he's going to have to sit.
1: But Blackshear, again, a similar type back, 5'9", 170. And, you know, and for... Blackshear may even be a guy who finds himself, when he, whenever he is eligible, finds himself being used in the slot too. Right. So you're not getting, uh, once again, you're not
0: getting one of those big bruising backs out of Blackshear either. So, Jalen Holston has a definitive role on this team next if season. He, if, if he, he can it, seize it. If he wants it and he can seize it, he's got a definitive role. He's one of the few guys you can point to in the running back room, Ricky, and say that guy has a role on this team if he wants it because we don't have anybody else like him.
1: Yeah, I mean, and- he, he's the, the quintessential short yardage goal line back. I mean, he's not overly shifty. He's not overly athletic, but he runs like a tank, and he's got enough size and strength to be able to get you those those short-yarded situations and convert those. But Absolutely. from what we've seen thus far, he hasn't translated any of those skills and abilities that we saw in high school to college. Right, totally agree. And Virginia Tech, you know, you look at their, their red zone offense
0: last year, they missed that. They missed that type of back. They had it with Stephen Peoples, Two seasons ago, and before that, they had it with Sam Rogers for four years,
1: and that's why we saw quarterback power in the in the red zone and on short yardage so often.
0: Yeah, now you're seeing Quincy Patterson and Hendon Hooker trying to pound it into the end zone from the goal line, which is a fine
1: it's a fine move, but stop running that play out of shotgun. And and also, it's not something you can run all the time. Right, right. You have to have something else in the bag
0: because teams look at Quincy Patterson coming out trotting onto the field on first and goal from the three,
1: and they know what's coming. Yes. Yes. Without, without question.
0: So it's a dynamic to the offense that was missing a year ago that I think would really help. And I think Jalen Holson, like you mentioned, Ricky and I agree with you. I think he certainly has the most to prove, but I also think he's the one guy who can kind of emerge as a surprise of the running back room next season, because if he is able to seize it for really the first time in his career, and it's going to be his last opportunity, right? He's going to be a senior. If he is able to seize it next year, and, and take that position by the horns, he has an opportunity to have a definitive role. Will he be uh, a guy who carries the ball 25, 30 times? No, he won't. But will he be a guy who could spell a Khalil Herbert, uh, who could spell a Keyshawn King, or Blackshear if he ends up being eligible? Um, yes, he can. He can be that guy. He can have a definitive role. He can be the power back in the Virginia Tech offense that they so desperately need. I think it's a role that needs to be filled. I think he's got the most to prove. And I think he could emerge as a surprise of the running back room next season
1: the The country is finding it very, very difficult to get an elite running back on the roster. And those teams that don't have an elite running back on the roster are having to do the by-committee approach and find guys who can fit roles. There isn't a David Wilson on this team that can not only run the the stretch play and get you, get you 15, 17 yards, but also run up the tackle. And even though he's a, a smaller guy, push guys back, which is one of the things that made David Wilson so great. But there are a, th- there's enough talent and enough versatility between all of the running backs that Virginia Tech should be able to find roles for these guys. But ultimately, they have to take over those roles. They have to go out there and and earn them. And we haven't really seen that outside of Deshaun McLeese last year. And even then, Deshaun was kind of up and down. What do you think's most likely to happen as far as the
0: running back rotation? Because we talked about our dream scenario right now, where yeah. power back um, and Herbert's the bell cow, like the bell cow, or the or the the RB one
1: in the room. I what mean, do you the most likely scenario. I think most likely it becomes some sort of rotation between Herbert and King. Um, I think those will be the two guys that'll be getting a, a bulk of the carries. Um, I think Jalen Holston will probably find himself maybe getting a couple carries here and there and probably getting a couple games a year where he doesn't even make it into the game. Um, That's just how I see it. I am kind of curious to see if Taj Gary is going to be healthy. This is a guy who was a pretty darn good running back in high school, broke his leg after he signed with Virginia tech tech, obviously, Kept him, brought him in. Hopefully, he's healed up now. If Taj Gary is healthy and if he's if he's been able to recover from that broken leg, he's another guy who could challenge for that bigger role because even though he's a he's smaller in terms of his height because I believe he's only five nine, Gary's got about two hundred fifteen two hundred twenty pounds on him, and at that size, he can he can muscle. So if, if Holston doesn't take over that power back role, which we don't even know if there's going to be that because Justin Fuente has been kind of all over the place at the running back position. And now they have a new running backs coach and Adam Lechtenberg. Um, I wonder if Taj Gary's healthy and if he's able to take that over.
0: And the one guy we haven't mentioned who really hasn't factored into the running game, but has played a lot of sp- on special teams. He's got the pedigree of being in a, of, of, the, you know, father who was a great running back terry sweetly who's going to be a redshirt junior yeah tyrone terry sweetly got on the field last year a lot as a kick returner um had some success there again he's not a huge i mean he's he's six feet tall so he's a taller running back he's only about 190 pounds so he's not this big bruising back Um, but he's a guy who i think could step in and maybe surprise and challenge for a role in the spring we'll have to see how kind of that evolves but he's another guy to keep on the periphery that's obviously not a favorite to to play a significant role in the running game but he's just
1: another guy in that room to throw in the mix. There are so many guys in the room that 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 have a chance to take over this this position and that's what makes it so intriguing is that Virginia Tech has over recruited the running back position over the last three years and they've added so many guys who none of whom are are really, elite prospects, that it's really a bunch of three-star kids just duking it out, trying to figure out who's going to play. Yep, without a doubt. Um, I guess I'll answer my own question, too,
0: real quick before we get out of here. The way I see it is very, I hate to be agreeable, but the way I see it is very similar to how you see it. I think it's going to be um, some combination of Herbert and King um, in the running game, more than likely taking up 75 80% of the carries. That's probably on the low end. Um, With with the remainder of the carries probably going to jet sweeps and and quarterback play. I think your point about Jalen Holston in the running game kind of being squeezed out and, you know, potentially not getting a ton of carries. uh, It's hard to dispute that, right? Because that's just kind of how it's been for the entirety of his career. Yeah. But I would love to see him take that position because I do think he's the one guy who has a role. I'd love to see him take that. And I think there, there's been glimpses of that, right? When he's played, there's like there's been glimpses where it's like, oh man, that's the guy everybody was talking about when he came onto campus. Um, it would be really nice to see him seize that role. But I, truth be told, gun to my head, I think it's a Keyshawn King and Khalil Herbert um, kind of two-headed monster in the running game, for lack of a better term.
1: Yeah, and... I think the main thing is Justin and and Adam Lechtenberg need to find somebody who can create explosive plays. This is something that has plagued the backfield really for going on seven, eight years now. I mean, they, they just haven't found a dynamic playmaker at running back, even someone who can do it just maybe a few times a season. Trevon McMillan was the closest thing. And he obviously got phased out of the offense and never really fit in once Justin Fuente came along. So uh, I'm not saying that there's a, a dynamic explosive guy on the roster, but it's up to this coaching staff to find ways to use these players to the best of their ability and maybe try and get them in good positions to where they can make some of those explosive plays. Because if you look around college football, the teams that have the best offenses are teams that are able to have those explosive plays. And you can't just throw the ball for all those explosive plays you have to have players who make plays with their feet and get the job done and not just get what the offensive line blocks for them.
0: yeah I'm with you it'll be interesting to see kind of how this position uh, progresses as we move through spring. obviously there'll be more news coming out of that once practice actually kicks off here in ten
1: days and uh, the, the other thing too is i'm 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 assuming before spring practice actually starts, we'll get an injured list yep. of players who will not be participating in spring. And I'm really curious to see who's on that list. Yeah. Like, is Jalen Holson totally cleared? Like, we it, don't know. Is, is Caleb Farley going to play this spring? Right. Probably not. Yeah. Is Jermaine Waller going to play this spring? Probably not. Yep. Um, they're, key pieces.
0: They're, who? I said key pieces. Like that yeah, are just yeah, not exactly. I mean, play. There, are,
1: there are guys up and down the roster that dealt with nagging injuries, and you have to wonder if they're going to be on the field. I mean, is Taiwan Garbutt going to be? I know he dealt with a couple things at the end of the last year. Is he going to be able to go? And if he does, if he isn't, who takes over at defensive end and who's able to play alongside him and Emmanuel Belmar? Um, there's just there's a lot of guys who dealt with nagging stuff last year. Hell, even Ed and Hooker. I mean, he had he had his own stuff. I'm assuming he's going to be going this spring but you just never know tech is always pulling guys out for an abundance of caution and you know you, you understand that especially for guys who are going to be in contact all spring but um that list will definitely help shape the narrative this spring as it does every year
0: Right, because there's always, you know, we talk about the injured list, but there's always a guy or two who's not that on you the didn't
1: roster. E- well, there's always a guy or two on that list that you didn't expect to be there. Right,
0: right. So the initial roster breakdown or just roster listing as we have it right now, that's presented on Hokie Sports. That'll be updated um, yeah. once practice kicks off. It always is. Um, but to Ricky's point, the injured list and who's on it, who's not on it, that's that's going to dictate a lot of these, quote unquote, you know, position battles, at least as, as we view them in the spring, very early in the off season. So we'll kind of we'll kind of see how that pans out. Um, but Ricky, I think that's that's good for now. Um, we'll obviously continue to kind of progress through the position battles. We're going to have a separate podcast out um, entirely dedicated to, to the men's basketball team. Um, and and kind of the season that was, and uh, just kind of a full breakdown of the year, and, and yeah, I because
1: it, 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 there's a lot to get into if you take into account because we have to remember what this team did early on in the season, and going from that point to now, that there's a lot to get into as to exactly what happened. So we'll definitely be having a pod specifically um, for the men's basketball team in their season, and. Like you said, Mikey, we'll be all over the football team this spring and um, exploring position battles and and parsing out quotes from the spring press conferences that don't mean anything. And and uh, there will be plenty of speculation abound. There's
0: so much news that's not news in the spring <laughs> that always <laughs> makes news. That,
1: that's such a good way to put it. Yeah, So yep. much news that isn't news. Yeah, so plenty, plenty
0: to talk about. And then one additional, um, one additional sports team that I know we'll touch on here um probably in the next podcast. Women's basketball. Uh they're going to the NCAA tournament, without a doubt. They're a lot to be in the field. We'll see what their seed is, who they're playing and kind of preview to the best of our ability and project out um, you know, what the NCAA tournament looks like for the women's basketball team because this is a very exciting time uh for Kenny Brooks and that program and to kind of celebrate the year that they've had and an opportunity to play in March, which is something that doesn't happen for the women's basketball team at tech very often. So um, we'll definitely be previewing that as well. Uh, but Ricky, hopefully we have Andrew next time. Well, we'll see. Um, nope, no. so he should be he he should be back here soon. Uh, and we'll get into we'll continue get into the position battles, and you know we'll we'll kind of go down the roster, and we'll continue to do so as, as spring moves along. And like you mentioned, you know break down all the news out of the football program uh, with that. But until next time, for Ricky LeBlue I'm Mike McDaniel, and until next time, go Hokies.